This morning, God's Word comes to us from the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus 16, we're going to be reading all the verses of this chapter. Beginning at verse 1, what we hear now is God's word. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd of the sin for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall present it alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. He shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord, at the cloud of the incense, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, so that he does not die." And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And on the front of the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place, because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel, and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so shall he do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. 
and he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all the iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place and put on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and afterward he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their sin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And it shall be a statute for you forever, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement, wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all your sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, last week we began a series of sermons looking particularly uh, at the doctrine of salvation, calling this the Facets of Salvation series. We began last week by talking about the word atonement. Remember, children, atonement and salvation really mean almost the same thing. And the necessity of the atonement, uh, that God had no inherent necessity to save anyone. God was under no obligation to anyone. But he chose, of his love, of his mercy, to save a people for his very own. And having made that choice, he would then bring atonement in a way that was consistent with who he was. A God who is just and a God who is merciful. This morning, we're going to look more particularly at the atonement itself, the nature of the atonement. And I said, like a, like a diamond looking up at the light, we're going to look at one of the facets of that atonement, the facet of expiation. Now, expiation, kids, is probably a word that you don't say very often, probably a word you don't hear very often. Uh, expiation just means the removal of guilt and the removal of sin. 
That's what we're going to talk about this morning. The removal of guilt and the removal of sin. Now, I know some of you kids uh, like to take notes from the sermon, and I love that when you take notes on the sermon. Some of you uh, maybe aren't old enough yet to know how to write the letters and things like that, and so with our own kids, we encourage them, if they couldn't take notes yet, that they draw a picture of what the minister was saying. Now, sometimes that's hard, and maybe with a title like The Nature of the Atonement Expiation, you might think this is a hard sermon to draw a picture of, but it's actually a really easy sermon to draw a picture of because we're going to talk about two goats, two goats, and I'm sure you can draw a goat, probably better than Beverly Niemeyer can draw a goat. We're going to talk about two goats, one that was used for a sacrifice and one that was sent away. The picture of the removal of guilt and the removal of sin. This uh, text we read from Leviticus 16 is the text that sets up the Day of Atonement for Israel. A day when the uh, priest would go into that most holy place and make atonement for the sins of the people. So this morning we look at the nature of the atonement. First, that first facet of salvation, expiation. The removal of guilt and the removal of sin. We have to remind ourselves why it is necessary that, uh, that expiation take place. And first, it's rooted in God. Rooted in who God is he is a holy God. And that's where our text begins. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they uh, drew near before the Lord and died. Maybe you want to, want to turn back later this afternoon to Leviticus chapter 10. It tells that story of what took place, why Aaron's sons died. Now Nadab and Avihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said, Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, I will be holy, and before all the people, I will be glorified. The reason that expiation, the removal of guilt, removal of sin is necessary is because of who God is. He is a holy God. And the book of Leviticus is a book about holiness. How can an unholy people approach a holy God? The necessity of having our uncleanness removed. He goes on in verse 3. But in this way Aaron took him into the holy place, with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, and he shall put on the holy linen coat, and shall have the linen undergarment on his body, and tie the linen sash round his waist, and wear the linen turban, turban. These are the holy garments. It talks about what Aaron should wear as he approaches a holy God. These linen garments, these were not the regular priestly garments. The regular priestly garments were rich and ornamented. They were purple and blue and gold and a splendid thing to look at. Because in many ways, the priest would represent God to the people. And they would see this splendid priest in all of his vestments. That's not how he enters when he comes in the presence of God. No, he puts on these simple linen garments. 
as a reminder of the purity that's required to approach a holy God. He shall bathe himself as a picture of the purity required to enter into God's holy presence. In fact, the whole tabernacle was structured recognizing the holiness of God. There was that outer court of the tabernacle where anybody could go. Then there was that inner place, that holy place, where only the priest could go. And then there was that most holy place where only the high priest could go, and only once a year, as specified in Leviticus 16. There was an approach to God's holiness because he's a holy and righteous God. And for anyone to enter his presence, there must be expiation, removal of guilt, and removal of sin. So, so the first reason for, for expiation would be because of God's holiness, who God is. And the other reason is because of who we are. We are not those who are perfect. We are not those who are holy. We are not those who can, of ourselves, enter into his presence. Look at verse uh, 11. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. So even as Aaron <clears throat> is going to go in, he has to make atonement first for who he is, because he is fallen and he is sinful. So he makes atonement for his own sin, and he does that by the means of the shedding of blood. Verse 14, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. On the front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood of his finger seven times. The sprinkling of blood for the removal of his defilement. The sprinkling of blood, a picture of washing, a picture of cleansing, a picture of removal of the guilt by the blood that was shed. Aaron first had to make atonement for himself. And then, verse 15, then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, that is, for the people, and shall bring its blood into the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat. So first he takes care of his own sin. Now he makes atonement for the people, for their ungodliness, for their impurity. That is what is necessary to be in the presence of a holy God, because he is righteous and holy, and we are fallen and sinful. And in this Old Testament text, we see such a beautiful picture of the work of God's Son, Jesus Christ, what he would come to do. In fact, that's referenced in the book of Hebrews. Now, we looked at Hebrews last week, and I told you that I entitled the book of Hebrews, God is better than, God is better than all the Old Testament uh, ordinances. Hebrews is really a divine commentary on the book of Leviticus. Hebrews gives us a divine commentary on this book about holiness. And in Hebrews 9, verse 21, we read, in the same way he sprinkled with blood both the tent and all the vessels used for worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The removal of sin by the blood. The shedding of blood was required. And so Christ came as a man, flesh and blood. 
that he might make expiation for our sins. Hebrews goes on. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. That's Leviticus 16. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Christ came as that perfect sacrifice, that perfect expiation for the removal of our guilt, for the removal of our defilement. His blood was shed. He offered the perfect sacrifice that all the impurities might be removed from us. The guilt of our sin taken away by the perfect Lamb of God, by the perfect sacrifice for sin. One goat was offered and his blood was shed. But there was a second goat. A second goat that was also part of the expiation, also part of the Day of Atonement. And we have here written, they shall, uh, verse 8, uh, Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. Uh, Azazel, a difficult word to get a handle on. Back in the authorized version, it was referred to as a scapegoat. A scapegoat. And kids, the picture is this scapegoat. One goat killed for the removal of guilt. The other goat is going to be sent away. But before that happens, there is a there is a transfer, there is a, there is a transfer placed on that goat. Verse, uh, verse 20, we read this. And when he had made atone, the end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting in the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. Aaron had made a sacrifice for the removal of guilt of their sin. And now he takes that live goat and he places his hands on the head of that goat and he confesses over that goat all the sins, all the iniquity of the people. And what happens to that goat? Is that goat killed also? Not right there. That goat is sent away, sent into the wilderness. A picture, not only of the removal of the guilt of our sin, that was the first goat, but removal of our sin itself. The sins themselves taken away, not just the guilt that we feel, but the sins themselves placed on that live goat, and he is sent off into the wilderness, which was for him a death sentence. 
And all the sins beautifully pictured, taken away by that goat to die in the wilderness. Expiation, the removal not only of the guilt of our sin, but of our sin itself. God takes our sin away. And this picture, this picture of the work of Jesus Christ, it is a wonderful thing that he comes and removes the guilt of our sin. That I no longer need to feel guilty for the things that I have done. But he does more than that. Jesus Christ comes and, and he takes away the sin itself. When God sees me, he not only sees one who is no longer guilty of sin, he sees me as one with no sin. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, our sins laid upon him. And just as that goat was sent outside the city, out of the place of the people, so Jesus Christ would come. He would be crucified outside the city, outside the walls, outside he would go and bear, bear on himself, not just the guilt, but the sins of all of his people. That beautiful picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And we can't help but notice the, um, the disproportionality of, of the removal of sin. There was one goat, one goat on whom all the sins were placed, and one goat was sent away to remove the sins of all the people. Christ came. One sacrifice for sin. And in that one sacrifice, he removes all of the sins of all of his people. There is no other sacrifice necessary. There is no other goat to look for. Jesus Christ came as the one and only Son of God to remove the guilt of our sin and to so take that sin upon himself, he removes it from us. What a beautiful picture, already in the Old Testament, of the finished work of Jesus Christ. One way of salvation, one offering in Him for the removal of our sins. And so He calls us again today not to look for any other means of salvation, not to look for any other way, any other goat, but look simply to the Son of God, the one who has taken all of our sin upon Himself on that cross, the one who's removed our guilt the one who's removed our sin as well. He calls you to put your trust in him. That's what we celebrate on this Lord's Day morning. As we come and we see the bread and the wine, and we think about the blood of Christ shed, that blood for the cleansing of our sin, he comes and does everything necessary to remove the guilt, to remove the sin itself. He makes expiation for our sins. We celebrate today. The finished work of Jesus Christ. Kids, the removal of guilt and the removal of sin itself. May we leave here rejoicing in what God has done for us in His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we do thank You for the glorious work of salvation, a work that is described for us so clearly in the New Testament but a work that is pictured for us 
so beautifully in the Old Testament. We thank you for the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, that he came not only to take our guilt away, but he came to take our sin itself away, that we might be new creatures in him. Oh, Lord God, may this glorious truth help us to rejoice today. Rejoice in you. Rejoice in what you have done for us and leave giving you thanks and praise for all of your goodness. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen. This morning we will come to the table of our Lord. There is a praise book in the rack in front of you, and if you'd like to follow along with the reading of the form, that form is found on page 45 of the praise book. Let us consider the purpose for which our Lord has instituted his supper, that we should do this in remembrance of him. And this is how we remember him by it. First, let us be fully persuaded in our hearts that our Lord Jesus Christ, according to the promises made to our forefathers in the Old Testament, was sent by the Father into this world, and that he assumed our flesh and blood that he took upon himself for us the wrath of God, under which we should have perished eternally, that from the beginning of his incarnation until the end of his life on earth, he fulfilled for us all obedience and righteousness of the divine law. This was especially evident when the weight of our sins and of the wrath of God caused him to sweat drops of blood in the garden. He was bound that we might be loosed from our sins. And afterward, he suffered countless insults so that we might never be put to shame. Let us confidently believe all that he, that he was innocent, yet put to death that we might be acquitted on the judgment day, that he was allowed his own, even allowed his own blessed body to be nailed to the cross so as to cancel the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. In doing so, he took from us the curse and bore it himself, so that he might fill us with his blessing. He humbled himself to the very deepest reproach and anguish of hell in body and soul on the cross, when he cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did all of this so that we might be accepted by God, never to be rejected by him. Indeed, with his, blood and the shedding, with his death and the shedding of his blood, he confirmed the new and eternal covenant, the covenant of grace and reconciliation, when he said, it is finished. In order that we might firmly believe that we belong to this covenant of grace, during the Last Supper, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That is, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, as a sure reminder and pledge, you shall be admonished and assured of my great love and faithfulness toward you, because you otherwise would have suffered eternal death 
I give you my body and blood for you in my death on the cross. And as certainly as the bread is broken before you and this cup is given to you, and with your mouth you eat and drink in remembrance of me, so surely do I nourish and refresh for everlasting life your hungry and thirsty souls with my crucified body and shed blood. From the institution of this Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ, we see that he directs our faith to his perfect sacrifice once offered on the cross as the only foundation of our salvation. By this sacrifice, he has become to our hungry and thirsty souls the true food and drink of life eternal. For by his death, he has taken away the cause of our eternal death and misery, our sin. He has also obtained for us the life-giving spirit who dwells in Christ our head and enables us who are his members to have communion with him and to be partakers of his riches, including eternal life, righteousness, and glory. Besides, by this same spirit, we are also united as members of one body in true Christian love. As the Apostle Paul says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. As many grains are ground to prepare one loaf of bread, and as many grapes are pressed to produce wine, so we who by true faith are incorporated into Christ shall be one body through Christian love for the sake of our dear Savior Jesus Christ. He loved us so greatly in order that we might show, he, we might show his love toward one another, not only in words, but also in deeds. May the almighty, merciful God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ help us in this through his Holy Spirit. Amen. That we may obtain all these blessings, let us humble ourselves before God and in true faith implore him for his grace. Let us pray together. Merciful God and Father, we cherish the blessed memory of the death and suffering of your dear Son, Jesus Christ. We ask that in this supper, you will so work in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that with true confidence we might give up ourselves more and more unto your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that this might allow our burdened and contrite hearts to be nourished and refreshed with the true body and blood of Him who is true God and true man, the only heavenly bread. Empower us to no longer live in our sins, knowing that he lives in us and we in him. May we truly be partakers of the new and everlasting covenant of grace. May we not doubt that you will forever be our gracious Father, who does not impute the guilt of our sins to us, and who provides us with all that we need for body and soul, as your dear children and heirs. Grant us also your grace that we may take up our cross cheerfully, deny ourselves, confess our Savior, and in all tribulation, with uplifted head, expect our Lord Jesus Christ from heaven. There he will make our mortal bodies like unto his glorified body, and take us to be with him in eternity. Answer us, O God and merciful Father, through Jesus Christ. Amen. By this Holy Supper, may we also be strengthened in the Catholic undoubted Christian faith, of which we profess with heart and mouth. Let's all confess the Apostles' Creed together, saying, I believe in God the Father Almighty, 
maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. For all who have requested permission from the elders, we welcome you to come to the table of the Lord. That we may be nourished with Christ, the true heavenly bread, let us not cling with our hearts to external things like bread and wine, but lift our hearts to heaven, where our advocate Jesus Christ is, at the right hand of his heavenly Father, where the articles of our Christian faith direct us. Let us not doubt that we shall be nourished and refreshed in our souls with his body and blood through the working of the Holy Spirit as truly as we receive the holy bread and drink in remembrance of him. The bread which we break is a communion of the body of Christ.
take, eat, remember, and believe the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was given for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. The cup of thanksgiving which we bless is a communion of the blood of Christ.
Take, drink, remember, and believe the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was shed for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Beloved in the Lord, since the Lord has now nourished our souls at his table, let us together praise his holy name with thanksgiving. Let everyone say in his heart, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all within me bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Therefore my mouth and heart shall show forth the praise of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. Let us pray together. O merciful God and Father, we thank you with all our heart that of your boundless mercy you have given us your only begotten Son for a mediator, the sacrifice for our sins, and as our food and drink unto life eternal. We also thank you that you give us a true faith, whereby we become partakers of these benefits. You have united us to Christ and to each other, in the communion of saints. You have given your Son for us and to us and have proclaimed his saving death to the whole world. Having signified and sealed the atoning sacrifice of your Son for us, we ask that you would, by your Spirit, also make us witnesses to this good news among our neighbors. Strengthen us in faith to live gratefully in this present age as we await our Savior's return in glory. In his name we pray, amen. Let's turn together to number 103E in the Trinity Psalter. Number 103E will remain seated while the offering for the Benevolence Fund is received. We'll sing all five verses of 103E.
Receive the parting blessing of our God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Thank you.